Well, this morning, if you would, I'd like you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5. Now, you may be thinking this morning, it seems like it's been a long time since we've been in our series on Ephesians, and that's because it's been a long time since we've been in our series on Ephesians. All in December, we had the Christmas series, then, of course, uh, Pastor Ron's last day with us was the last Sunday of December, and we had him preach for us. We've had two guest speakers this month, and so now we are back to our study of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5. Just very briefly for us, keep in mind that the first three chapters of Ephesians were Paul giving us what we would call doctrine, teaching, on who we are in Christ, the blessings that we have in Christ, that we have been saved by grace through faith, and it's not of ourselves, not of work so that we cannot boast, that we are Jews and Gentiles, one new man in Christ. Ephesians chapters 1 through 3, just chock full of this great blessedness that is ours in Christ. And then chapters 4 through 6 are the practical outworking of the first three chapters. So chapters 1 through 3 is here's who you are. Chapters 4 through 6 is now live out every day who you are. And that brings us to chapter 5 this morning. And in the first seven verses we read, Therefore... Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. Well, our first point this morning is be imitators of God. At the beginning of Ephesians chapter 5, we are given what appears to be an outrageous command. Be imitators of God. Now, later in Ephesians chapter 5, we are going to see that husbands are commanded to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, which I think is one of the most awe-inspiring, overwhelming commands ever given to a human being. Ephesians 5.1 falls into that same category. Be imitators of of God. We are not going to be God. We are not going to have God-like qualities, but we are to imitate the one who created us and the one who redeemed us, saved us. 
Therefore, the first word of this section is based on what has just been said in chapter 4. At the beginning of chapter 4, verse 1, and I shared this with you, if you can think back earlier to the last part of last year, I shared with you that Ephesians 4.1 is the gateway into the last half of the book of Ephesians. In Ephesians 4.1, it says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. First three chapters, here's who you are in Christ. You are blessed in Christ. Now, now walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Then in the middle of chapter 4, we are told to put off the noose excuse me, to put off the old self and to put on the new self. And at the very end of chapter 4, in verses 31 and 32, it says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Now, that little sentence there is overwhelming. Let's take the last half first. We are called beloved children of God. When Jesus was baptized, the Father said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. He calls Christ his beloved son, and then calls us his beloved children. It's like, whoa, Christ is beloved, and we are also beloved? And the answer is absolutely yes. And the reason we are beloved is because we are in Christ, because we are clothed with his righteousness. He now lives in us. The resurrected and living Christ now lives within us. Therefore, we are the beloved children of God. And as the beloved children of God, we are to be imitators of God. What does it mean? What does it mean to imitate God? Well, it is actually quite simple. It is not a difficult phrase. It means exactly what it says. We are to look deeply at the character of God in Scripture and desire to be just like Him. I want you to know our God is a beautiful God. Our God is a perfect God. He is a pure God. He is holy. He is just. He is righteous. He is loving. He is graceful or filled with grace. He is merciful. And we are to desire to be like that even with our human limitations. We are to look at God and want to be like and to desire what He is like. We want to be like. This is not new. This is not new in the New Testament. In the book of Leviticus, God said to the people of Israel, Be holy, for I am holy. That was His command to Israel. Be holy, for I am holy. In 1 Peter, the book of 1 Peter, which I preached through just a couple of years ago, Peter repeats that. And he says, for it is written, God said, be holy, 
for I am holy. That's what it means to imitate God. Because our Heavenly Father is holy, we should desire to be holy. Because our Heavenly Father is kind and compassionate, we should desire to be kind and compassionate. Because our God is a forgiving God, we should desire to be forgiving. Because God in Christ humbled himself. We are to humble ourselves. Because God is love. As his beloved, we are to walk in the love that we see in our perfect, majestic, transcendent God. Now, having said all that, let me encourage you. You can't do this on your own. Okay? When it says be imitators of God, you can't do that in your own strength. The only way we can become imitators of God is for the Lord Jesus Christ to live his perfect life through us. It is the power of Christ. It is the life of Christ living in us, outflowing through us that allows us to obey the command, be imitators of God as beloved children. We are totally totally dependent upon the Holy Spirit to become like him, to imitate him. And so, as we have seen so many times in the book of Ephesians, we are to constantly yield and surrender and submit to the power of the Holy Spirit within us that the righteousness of Christ himself might manifest itself in our lives. And he's given us everything we need to do that. That's the really encouraging part. You can do this through Christ. You can. Remember Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3. That verse that really set the tone for the whole rest of the book. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Wow. We have every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. He's blessed us with that. He has blessed us in Christ. In Christ with every spiritual blessing. Therefore, we are told in the middle of chapter 4, as I mentioned just a few minutes ago, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt with deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. That's you. That's me. In Christ. I just want you to listen to that again. You have been created after the likeness of God in your new self, in true righteousness and holiness. So in Christ... In his strength, in his resurrection life, we are called to imitate God. And as we imitate God, one of the supreme things we are to strive for and to desire and to long for is found in verse 2, and walk in love. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Oh, we are... Be loving. We are to be characterized as a people of love, but we are not just any definition of love. Not 
the definition of love that we might find out in the culture. But a love, we are to love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. A perfect, all-sufficient, completely satisfying sacrifice to God. That's what it means when it says fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We think of the ministry, the earthly ministry of Jesus. And everywhere he went, he showed compassion. He showed love. He showed concern for those who were suffering, for those who were hurting. He healed the sick. He made the blind to see. He made the lame to walk. He cast out demons. He met people in the deepest parts of their suffering. He saw the people as harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He felt compassion for the crowds. That's how we're to love. And that's how we are to love. But even above all that, our love is most of all to be characterized by forgiveness. Forgiveness is one of the most difficult things that we do in this human life even as Christians. And that's why it says, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. In his perfect atoning sacrifice, he brought us a complete and thorough forgiveness. And now in him, we are to be a people of forgiveness. We are wronged and hurt On a regular basis. All of us. By things people say. By things people do. And we can either be prisoners. Of our bitterness. Or we can be free. In our forgiveness. We are to be a people. Who so walk in love. That our lives. Are constantly characterized. By forgiveness. Of others. Now. Again. I want to encourage you this morning. You can do this. You can do this. You know why? Because the love of God lives in you. Important verse here. Romans 5.5. Romans 5.5 says this. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God's love. I love that phrase poured. Poured in. God's love has been poured into our hearts by means of The Holy Spirit, the love of God lives in you. Now let the love of God flow through you. Jude verse 21 says this, keep yourselves in the love of God. And what Jude is saying is you have the love of God. Now maintain that love, keep that love. Remember we learned earlier in Ephesians chapter four that we are to maintain the unity of excuse me, the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. We're not to produce unity. It's not something that we try to make happen. No, God has given us unity. As the people of God, God has given all of us unity together in the Holy Spirit. Now maintain the unity of the spirit that you've been given in the bond of peace. Same thought here. Keep yourselves in the love of God. The love of God lives in you through Christ by means of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit permanently resides in you as a Christian. Now keep yourselves. Do everything you can to keep yourselves in the love of God and to manifest that love to others. So here is this beautiful picture 
as a child of God, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, saved by grace through faith, we are to behold our God and we are to imitate him as his beloved children, as his beloved children. And we are to walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. Well, our second point is the contrast to that. Do not imitate the world. In contrast to godly, unselfish, forgiving love, the world's love is lustful and self-indulgent. Look at verse 3. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Now, the terms sexual immorality and all impurity, rather than trying to give you some long, drawn-out definition of each word or phrase, it simply means anything outside of God's perfect design for sexuality as revealed in Scripture. Anything. Anything outside of that should not be named among us. I shared with you last Sunday night where we looked at fear God and keep his commandments at the end of the book of Ecclesiastes. That God's commands are the standard for us. Anything outside of that is a detriment to us. It's only to our harm. God has given us his perfect design, his perfect pattern for sexuality and anything outside of that should not be named among us. Again, as I mentioned last Sunday night, we live in a culture right now of great sexual confusion, gender confusion, sexual, sexual relations confusion, marital confusion. What is marriage? How do we define marriage? So much confusion on that but God has given us his perfect pattern and design and we are not to go outside of that because it's for our joy it's for our good it's because he loves us so much that he has given us his commandments and so anything outside of that and we could go through a list of sins anything outside of that is not to be named among us. It's not proper for God's people to do. And here's why. Let me give you the crux of this. It's interesting that Paul combines sexual immorality, impurity, and covetousness. It almost seems like that's a different category, but it's really not. Anything outside of God's pattern for sexuality ultimately is selfish and self-indulgent. Let me say that again. Anything outside of God's beautiful design for sexuality is ultimately selfish and self-indulgent. Think about it. I will have sexual relations with anyone I want to. I will be whatever gender I want to be. I will define marriage any way I want and don't you tell me any different. It's what I want. It's what I want to do. It's all about me. It's 
what I think sex ought to be. It's what I think marriage ought to be. It's what I think my gender ought to be. It's all about me. I'm at the center of everything. And folks, think with me this morning. How many people have gone through abuse? How many children have been abandoned? How many wives or husbands have been abandoned in their marriages because of somebody's self-centered, self-determined love? I don't love you anymore. I love someone else. And love becomes whatever I want love to be. It's the antithesis. It is the polar opposite of the kind of self-sacrificial love that God wants us to demonstrate. Be imitators of God. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Do not let sexual immorality or impurity or covetousness even be named among you. And then in verse 4, it's really the same thing, just slightly different category. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead, let there be thanksgiving. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking. This encompasses everything from cursing, to swearing, to being obscene, to telling obscene stories or jokes. All of that is encompassed here. It just ought not to be named among us. It ought not to be part of us, again, because it is selfish and self-centered. You know, I curse or swear, or you curse or swear, use obscenities. You know who's at the center of it all? You are. You're trying to be popular. You're trying to look cool. You're angry. Well, I'm angry. That's the only reason I use that language. It's about me. I got angry. I got mad. That's why I use those words. People say things like, yeah, Pastor Tim, you don't, you don't know my work environment. I'm a construction worker. I work in a garage. You don't know my office. They're using that kind of language all the time. And if I didn't use it, I wouldn't be accepted there. So you want to be one of the guys. You want to be one of the girls. It's all about you. It's all about you. Paul says it has nothing to do with Christ. It's the opposite of what Christ calls you to do. It's interesting that phrase foolish talk comes from the word moros from which we get our English word moron. And so Paul is saying don't be a moron. Really, that's pretty straightforward, isn't it? We lose some of that in the English here. Don't be a moron, really. Be imitators of God. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. And then he says something beautiful. Rather than the self-indulgent lifestyle that characterizes the world, the Christian is to be characterized by thanksgiving. At the end of verse 4, but instead, let there be thanksgiving. Let there be thanksgiving. No sexual immorality or impurity or covetousness. No filthiness nor foolish talk nor crude joking. But instead, but in its place, in its place, let there be thanksgiving. 
That's how you're to look in your workplace. I believe that Christians ought to be involved in every possible kind of occupation unless for some reason it's immoral or unethical or illegal or something. But every, every place. But yes, you may stand out from your co-workers, but that's the whole point. That's the whole point. If you're going to be salt and light in this world, let the way you behave and let the way you talk be different than those around you so that the life and love of Christ may shine through you. I want to say to you this morning that the Holy Spirit is a spirit of gratefulness and thankfulness. If you are not grateful and thankful, the Holy Spirit is not controlling your life. If you are not grateful and thankful, then the Holy Spirit is not in control of you. So think about it with me. We have two great characterizations of what it means to be a Christian. We are to walk in love, especially the love of forgiveness, and we are to be constantly grateful and thankful. We are to walk in love, especially in forgiveness. And we are to be grateful. A forgiving people and a grateful people. That's what God wants us to be. If, if we understand the boundless, undeserved love and mercy of God that has been shown to us in our salvation, we will Forgive and we will be thankful. We will. No doubt about it. If you understand that you were sinful, fully deserving of eternal condemnation, but God in Christ has shown you unbelievable, indescribable mercy, grace, and love by saving you in Christ, if that overwhelms you, you will be forgiving and you will be thankful. That's what it means to imitate God. That's what it means to walk in love. We are so grateful for our salvation. We just overflow with love, forgiveness, and thanksgiving. That brings us to a consistent theme throughout the book of Ephesians. I want you to think very carefully about this with me. These aren't just commands for you. They are evidences for you. I want to repeat something that I've mentioned a number of times in this series. The reliable evidence of a person's salvation is not just a past experience of receiving Christ, but a present life that reflects Christ. The evidence, the greatest evidence of your salvation is not just that you can name the time that you ask Christ to be your Savior. And don't misunderstand me, that's very important. But the evidence of your salvation is how you're living right now. That's the evidence of your salvation. You can say anything you want about when you received Christ or when you asked him to be your savior. But do you give evidence of that right now in the way you think, in the way you talk, and in the way you live? If you are not living as imitators of God, if you are not walking in the love of Christ and in gratefulness, it may be that you have never been born again. You say, wow, 
Pastor Tim, that's kind of strong. I'm saying to you this morning, if you are not imitators of God, if you are not walking in the love of Christ and in constant gratefulness, it may be that you were never saved in the first place. Listen very, very, very carefully to verses 5 through 7. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become excuse me, do not become partners with them. I want you to be sure of this, Paul says, that everyone who lives a life that is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Now, I've shared with you before in other sermons, the kingdom of God can be used in different ways based on the context of the passage. Here, the kingdom of Christ and God refers primarily to the realm of salvation. It means you have no inheritance among the redeemed of Christ. It means you have no inheritance among the true church of Jesus Christ if you are living this way. So don't let anyone deceive you. For example, I believe in grace. I believe the Bible preaches grace. I believe that grace is sometimes misunderstood. We, are, we not only are saved by grace, but we're kept by grace and we live by grace. However, do not abuse grace. Do not abuse grace. Don't say, well, I was saved when I was 10 years old, so I'm secure and I can live any way I want to live. You're being deceived. You're being deceived with empty words. Don't let anyone tell you just because you made some profession that it doesn't matter how you live now, you're secure in Christ. That's deceitfulness. Those are empty words. The wrath of God is going to come upon the sons and daughters of disobedience. Let me share a couple of verses with you that I've shared before in this series. Probably no one is more blunt about this than John in his first epistle. 1 John 2, verses 4 and 15. Listen carefully. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 2 Corinthians 5.15, they who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Now, I'm not saying that we will never have a lustful thought, that we will never use language we shouldn't. I'm not saying that will never happen. It does. But what Paul is talking about here is a habitual pattern. If you are living a habitual pattern of sexual immorality and impurity and covetousness, if you are living a habitual pattern of filthiness and foolish talk and crude joking, there is a real strong possibility that you've never been saved because you just give no evidence of your salvation. There is a story told about Alexander the Great at the height of the Greek Empire. Whether it is truth or legend, I do not know. 
But he was told that there was a soldier in his army who was a coward and who was also named Alexander. And according to the story, he had the soldier brought to him. And here the king, the commander of all the armies of Greece, said, young man, either you renounce your cowardice or you renounce the name Alexander. Folks, we bear the name of Jesus Christ. We are called Christians. We are known as the followers of Christ. Either live as he did or deal with the issue that you may not know him at all. I'll bet most of you have had something like this happen in your life. You know of someone who professes to be a Christian. Maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's an acquaintance. But this person who professes to be a Christian doesn't live like it. And you know they don't live like it. And there's that part of you that just wants to walk up to him or to her and say, would you do us all of a favor and don't tell anyone that you're a Christian? Would you do us a favor? Don't use that name because you damage the testimony of all of us. Do you know him? Don't just say with your lips, but does your life reflect that you truly know him as Savior and Lord? But I want to end this morning on something more positive. The opposite of that. If you do know him, rejoice. You are called to be an imitator of Christ, of God. Let me say again, our God is beautiful. He is pure. He is majestic. He is awe-inspiring. As I said last Sunday night, that's what it means to fear God, is to be so overwhelmed with his greatness, with his attributes, that it almost knocks us to the ground because we are so enthralled with him and we want to please him. Oh, the very center and core of human joy, the very center and core of human joy is lived in, or is found in imitating God. He is your God. He is your Savior. Live like him. Enjoy what it means to follow the one who is so perfect and so beautiful. Let's pray together. Father, help us to be imitators of God as your beloved children. Help us to know the joy, the thrill, the exhilaration of imitating you, of living in a realm that is only possible through the power and life of Christ. And Lord, help us to walk in love. Every single one of us, help us to walk in love just like Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. And help us, Lord, to be a people who are always thankful, always grateful. Oh God, help our lights to shine to everyone around us. In Jesus' name, amen.